Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Very happy to be joined again by Josh Blank, research director of the Texas Politics Project. Welcome back, Josh. Hope hope your weekend was, if tiring, relaxing. Josh was at a big rock festival. Yeah, exactly. Well, music festival. Yeah, it was a music festival. You know, not relaxing. It was rejuvenating, but tiring. There you go. Rejuvenating, yeah. There you go. Um, An age-appropriate response. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a lot of age-appropriateness to the whole thing. Yeah. So so, uh, last week on the podcast, we were joined by our colleague and collaborator, Darren Shaw, uh, professor in the government department at UT Austin, too. And we talked about the the poll that we conducted uh, from August 26th through September 6th. We bit the bullet in a way and and focused mainly on the trial ballots with election matchups and related directly related topics in the poll and, and what the results seem to suggest about that moment of time in the electoral environment uh, in the 2022 election in Texas, particularly, of course, the matchup between Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke for the governorship. Now, we wound up talking a bit about the issues that were important to voters in the election environment uh, uh, and a little more broadly to the, the partisan universe in Texas. Uh, but I thought it might be helpful to look at the issue environment in its own right today. Um, you know, in a way, this is kind of a frame switch. I mean, it, it's funny, as you unpack this, we're still wind up kind of looking at the same thing, you know, looking at the election, which is just omnipresent in Texas right now. But we do it through the through the lens of these issue attitudes rather than kind of vice versa, which is a little bit of how the issues came up last week. Yeah, I'd say, you know, in this election, maybe more so in previous ones. I mean, it does, I, mean, I don't know, I was just thinking about this as we're teeing this up, but it does feel like the issues are a little bit more, seem a little bit more front and center, at least in the discussion of trying to understand what's going on. I, mean, I think abortion and Dobbs has certainly raised the abortion right. issue, sort of a big, you know, kind of frame through which people view the election. and. And so, I mean, I think, you know, more so than in past elections where we would say, well, you know, let's just let's look at the partisan universe. And that kind of is going to explain most of where we're going to get in Texas now. You know, kind of looking at the issues and what is and is not moving people right. is actually a little bit more, you know, a value than it's yeah, been. Yeah, in some maybe. ways, you know, the exogenous shock factor, right? Once you have ah, some unpredictable things right. happen, you know, yeah. I, and I think that is part of what's going on here. Yeah. You know, you had some big things happen and that, you know, raises the question of how if and how much – and if not, why not? The issue environment changes right. of what's going on in the election. So you raise abortion. So the way that you know, I thought we'd do this is, you know, we can let's start with the issue that is most commonly thought of as as having the potential to change the election landscape and certainly change the public. I mean, there's no way to deny that it changed the public discussion of the election. Right. Uh, and, and that would be abortion. And as you say, in the wake of the Dobbs decision, you know, and it. Uh, you know, it's drawn attention for reasons that we've talked about a lot on the podcast, and mm-hmm. they're out there, in, you know, in the media sphere in great quantity. That you know, when you come right down to it, it seems central to the Democratic and in Texas the O'Rourke mobilization strategy. 
mm-hmm. and central to democratic efforts, you know, maybe more broadly. And certainly if, you know, the ad messages and, and the spending right. uh, are any indication. But as we look at these attitudes, we've kind of observed that for the most part, attitudes haven't changed that much. I mean, maybe the salience, I mean, not even maybe, the salience of abortion right. has changed sure. because of this condition. But if you look at our last poll from late August, early September, and, and we saw some glimmers of why it was reasonable to think this, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we see is is that, you know, we see the issue of abortion raising kind of in the overall most important problem, you know, but 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 marginally, right? Right. You know, we see a, a few point shifts, I would say, in a probably a more, uh, I, I want to say, I would say, I guess, liberal direction, but maybe a more, you know, a direction in favor of more access across yeah. a couple of questions. But when I say, you know, a few points, like that's really what we mean. We're talking about a few points here, a few points there. We're not talking about a sea change in attitudes. And I think this kind of falls back to, to sort of, you know, two related observations, right? Num- number one, you know, people know what they think about abortion. This is not a new issue in politics. And for the most part, we've said this before, but most abortion attitudes are, are reinforcing. It's not as though people have a lot of usually often conflicts that they're doing. Now, I think, right. I think the reality is, is that Dobbs has probably created the situation where there could be more conflicts in the future, but I don't think we're there yet in terms of, you know, people's sort of attitudes about... Well, and we saw that in the issue, but in the kind of what do you, you know, the more forward-looking beyond, you know, beyond the election issue battery that we asked in terms of what, when we asked people, right. what do you think the follow-up should be here? Right, and we found that generally people were saying, you know, again, on balance, and this is not a huge right. thing, we're not talking like, you know, we're not talking 70, 30, 90, we're talking about like, you know, 55, 35, we're seeing people say, well, yeah, I think we should probably expand access. And 55, 35, we're saying, yeah, we probably shouldn't have further enforcement mechanisms. But that's not overwhelming. And I think the other sort of piece to say is because I think most people know what they think about abortion going into this, and I think some of that will be challenged as time goes on and more situations come up that people have to incorporate into their views. But the other thing that I'm kind of increasingly thinking about is, you know, and this is probably kind of obvious, but a lot of things are kind of obvious. Um you know, this was probably baked into people's vote decisions to begin with for the most part. So for most people who are, you know, let's say overwhelmingly pro-life and, and you know, the abortion issue is a main issue for them, right. they were not going to... Cons- and they have highly restrictive views. Yeah. They right. were not going to vote for Beto O'Rourke. They were going to turn out for Greg Abbott. Likewise, you know, for those people who have been like fighting for, you know, greater abortion access in Texas for, you know, years, if not decades. And warning that something bad was probably coming. Ultimately, you know, they're not going to not turn out. And so I think what we're seeing on the abortion issue is a much more, mo- at least currently, it looks like a much more of a, a modest effect. You know, I mean, it's possible that something unexpected could happen around this, but it doesn't look like it. It looks like this has been kind of baked in. The pro-life, you know, sort of forces have, are kind of where they've been. The pro-choice forces are going to be where they've been. It doesn't really look like, you know, this is expanding. I mean, one of the things we asked about, you know, in the poll was, you know, the issues relative importance to their 2022 vote choice. And abortion was the third highest issue. It was 12 percent of voters. But even on that issue, we said, well, who would do a better job on it? I mean, O'Rourke is 42, Abbott's 38. So right. even among, you know, let's say the, the you know, the 12 percent of voters said this is the issue. It was almost an even split. And so, you know, yes, it helps Democrats. And yes, if the election were like a Kansas vote just about abortion, and we're talking just about abortion policy in Texas, sure. But that's not what the election is. Well, this is also, I think, one of those issues uh, that, you know, and we see this with a lot of issues that are, you know, perpetually in, perpetually salient, if not always necessarily right at the top of the, of mind for voters, which is, you know, because people have fairly well-formed opinions and because 
they're doing so in a very you know, in a very partisan context. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a um, I don't want to use the wrong word here because I don't want to overstate, but there is a little bit of a disjuncture between what you get when you ask people about the issue at a kind of general level, like mm-hmm. whether you, you know, in this poll where we asked, you know, do you agree or disagree with overturning Roe v. Wade or are you pro-life or pro-choice? Right. But then the more nuanced views yeah. when you ask people about the details mm-hmm. and the responses on the details, as we saw in the you know, the kind of our, our, you know, reasonably innovative approach where we ask people about, you know, what they think should be allowable at what point in a pregnancy in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the rationales for terminating a, pre- for a pregnancy. You know, it, it can be hard to kind of parse that out. And I've had, you know, reporters and other mm-hmm. folks ask, you know, why is it that when you ask about overturning Roe v. Wade, it's exa- in this poll, it was exactly evenly right. split, 44-44. But when we really dig in, only, you know, less than 10% overall say that, I think it's about that, uh, abortion shouldn't be or should still be available in cases of rape, incest, threat to the life of the mother. And it underlines, I think, how the, the general level that this gets engaged at some level to comparative advantage by candidates and parties in an election, you know, can kind of obscure that, you know, in a lot of ways people... You know, there are plenty of times when we don't give the public enough credit. Yeah. And something like the people have fairly nuanced views of this. Well, that's funny. I mean, I, I agree with you almost up to the last part, I guess. And I'm a little. Well, just, when you ask him about the details. Yeah, no, no, right? no, I agree. No, and I, I totally agree with that. But I think the issue is, is that, you know, political campaigns and public policy in the in the public domain is not fought over the details. Right. And that's where I think the Democrats' problem one of the one of the areas where the Democrats have a problem with this issue is ultimately, yeah. I mean, again, if we were having an election just about abortion access, I think Democrats would be would be in a pretty good position. Right. If we were really having a debate about you know the details of the policy that the legislature might embark on, you just raised those two points. Right. Whether we talk about what they're going to do next, or even we look at these exceptions. Uh, or the time frame, we would say, oh, you know, they really need to actually like find some space to expand access because that's where the public is. But that's not really what we talk about in politics. We say, are you right. pro-life or are you pro-choice? You know, are you were you for overturning Roe v. Wade? Because or are you against it? And you in there on that kind of broad level, because there is so much nuance under it, you do end up finding, you know, the the I would say I wouldn't go this far, but almost as far, you know, the issue kind of neuters itself. I mean, that's why when you look at it, you say, you know, this is you know, the public opinion landscape on abortion is, is very clear in terms of, you know, where people are, and it's very different from where public policy is. However, Forty-two percent of voters think that O'Rourke would do a better job on abortion. Thirty-eight percent think Abbott would. Right. So that you know, just you take out to well, take and that, that, and that's why you know, either the you know, from the Abbott campaign perspective, either they don't want to talk about it, right. or they want to talk about it in terms that push people back into these into their camps, more simplified camps. Yeah, but ultimately, even if they didn't, the point is, is that you know, would would a four-point gain, you know, for O'Rourke, let's say, would that be enough to win an election? Probably not. I mean, you know, again, right. that's not that math is not exact. That's just well, making a point. Another, but yeah, this, I mean, there's, there's a, other stuff going on there. But this is just right. to make a point that, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, even if you know the uh, the issue of abortion is raised in the salience of voters and it becomes you know a determining issue for more, more voters than it normally would, it's still a significant minority of voters. The split among those voters is almost one to one. Right. It's like one point one to point nine or something. Right. And then ultimately, you know, that in and of itself is like probably not enough, even if it were more salient. Right. So, you know, and, and I think we, I want to leave it on the table because we want to move on. But I mean, 
at some point, you know, prior to the election, and we'll be doing another poll before the election, you know, we have to engage this. Okay, so that's in terms of preferences voting, like what is this doing about mobilization? And that's sure. a, a data, that's, you know, well, and, and, you know, the attraction of new voters into the electorate, which is kind of out there. Big, and, big open question. Right, so big open question. Big, big and and we, it's still a little early. I, I think even though people are talking about it a lot, it's still a little early to make some judgments in terms of what we know data-wise in terms of voter registrations. Whole right. other can of worms. Right. But the other issue then that that, that has really been, you know, uh, thought of as potentially changing the issue environment um, is the issue of gun violence. You know, nobody likes to use this term anymore, gun control, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, just at the uh, to make this move a little more quickly, you know, again, there were good reasons to think this was not a good issue for Republicans because it was so closely tied to the shooting at Robb Elementary, the, the murders at Robb Elementary, the factors in that. But I think one of the things that this poll was really effective at underlining was why that may have turned out to not be quite the liability in this area for the Abbott campaign and for Republicans that, you know, even, you know, we, I think, might have thought it could be at one point. Um, you know, I mean, and, I, and the way I'm thinking about that, and I, you know, we haven't really even talked about yeah. this, I don't think that directly, but, you know, it seems to me that w- what we're seeing in this poll, particularly with the question that we asked about what people thought was really kind of, we didn't phrase it this way, yeah. but, you know, to paraphrase, the kind of the most aggravating circumstance right. or factor in, in the severity of the shooting in, in Uvalde is that the shakeout of this has been that it's just not been, you know, it's it's not focused on gun violence per se necessarily in the minds of a lot of voters for reasons that we could, are easy to unpack. But, you know, in one, you know, to the extent that the, uh, the simple idea going in was there's been a mass shooting, it's terrible, it was handled poorly, we're going to have a conversation about guns, that is not been the way that this has played out. Yeah, and, it's, and the thing is, I mean, we've talked about this at the time, and we don't have to belabor it, but I mean, the thing about, you know, a particular mass shooting as opposed to the, you know, the discussion of sort of gun violence more broadly is that, you know, what, what I've sort of noticed over time, and my observation on this is that, you know, what ends up happening is that the particulars of any mass shooting event are going to be, you know, selectively poured over to reinforce the views of partisans, right? I and mean, we right. always talk about the sale at, at both the elite at, bo- at both the elite and the voter both, and the voter level. Both the elite and the voter level. And we talk we always talk about, you know, the stale response after mass shootings and stuff. Right. But what the stale response does is, you know, it turns, you know, in the decades of Democrats, it turns their attention to the weapon used by the shooter, the ease with which the shooter was able to acquire this weapon in the case of the Uvalde situation, you know, the effect that the weapon had in holding police at bay. Right. From doing what they were supposed to do. Right. right? Which we wrote about and talked, yeah. you know, and have talked about in here and, on, on know, the podcast. But I think we dedicated a podcast to it practically. And I mean, speaking. there's something about this that kind of works, you know, in some ways it works perfectly. What we found here, which is to the extent that most people are, you know, that ev- to the extent that everyone blames the, the slow law enforcement response. Ultimately, right. you know, that allows you if you if you want to to say, OK, you know, this wouldn't have been so bad had everybody just done their job. Right. And and, and and we talked about this. I mean, just to make sure people remembered, like and we asked directly about this and got a response that really underlined just how strongly that was the case. Yeah. Right. So, set, you know, we asked, you know, basically how much did each of the following factors contribute to the severity of the mass shooting at Uvalde Elementary? You know, there's more detail. You know, the poli- the delay by the police in responding to the shooter 
Uh, 76% of Texas voters said that contributed a lot. That included 80% of Democrats, 81% of uh, independents, 74% of Republicans, 80% of you know Hispanics, I think about other groups in the electorate, 77% of those in the suburb. When we talk about the weapon used by the shooter, it's 46% of people said a lot. Now, it's 74% of Democrats, it's only 22% of Republicans. Half of Republicans said the weapon used by the shooter either had not very much of an impact or no impact. Nearly a third of Republicans said the weapon had no impact at all. Right. And this is the thing. That, and, you know, just so, you know, we've asked this before, you know, if, you know, there's a question we've asked multiple times. If more people had guns, do you think the U.S. would be more safe or less safe? Nearly two-thirds of Republicans say more safe. You know, nearly probably three-quarters of Democrats say less safe. But this is the thing. If You know, this is the thing about, you know, with the focus on a particular mass shooting as opposed to gun violence more generally is that you say, like, if the good guys with the gun had done what their guns had done what they were supposed to do or had there been more good guys with guns willing to do what they were supposed to do, this wouldn't have been so severe. And that reinforces the viewpoint, which says right. it's not about the guns. I, you know, and I, I just, you know, you know, can't help but say, you know, this really underlines the analysis that we put forth in the aftermath of the release of the House Committee report in mm-hmm. which, you know, we, you know, I, I won't put you in the in the pot too much on this, but in which, you know, I, you know, I very strongly suggested in, in, in several fora that, you know, this really underlined uh, the partisan limitations of that report. Yeah. And this really underlines, you know, a political logic to that. Could be a total coincidence, but I doubt it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, in that sense, so I think in both of these areas, then we see what the the poll under the poll results underline. You know, the limitations of the ability of either of these issues to really yeah. be asserted and maintain themselves given these patterns in public opinion. Now, there's another side to that, which is, so what are the countervailing forces issue-wise? And so, you know, we want to talk a couple about about a few of those issues as quickly as we can. So one thing, you know, the economy and the, the general mood of the state. Now, you know, in many ways, for months now, probably for you know at least a, about a year or so, if not a year, almost let's say for most of this year, certainly. most of twenty twenty two at least. Um, you know, attitudes about the general track of the state, about the economy, national, and even the state economy. Although, and you talked about this, I think, really productively in the last podcast, the gap, as did Darren, the yeah. gap between state and and mm-hmm. national readings. I guess it was Darren who yeah, really leaned Darren. on that at the end. Um, you know are still negative, you know, and, and to be clear, they're still, you know, they're, they're, they're not good, but these trends, you know, have cooled, you know, have are not as just hotly negative now as they were, but are still pretty negative. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, this, the share saying the national economy is better than a year ago increased from 14% in June to 20% in August. Uh, you know, the share of the national economy is worse compared to a year ago, declined 13 points from 73% to 60%. So that's a big shift. I mean, like, right. in terms of, you know, we watch these, I mean, because we do six polls a year, you know, we're currently doing that, we we do see these sort of micro changes. And this isn't a micro change. I mean, this isn't like yeah. we've been watching over three polls and it's inching down. I mean, 13 points is a pretty yeah, big shift. Yeah, no, noticeable shifts outside the margin of error in a short period of time. Right. But at the same time, you know, like while the the negative attitudes towards the state were less intense than the negative attitudes towards the national economy, it's also the case that, you know, the, the, the changes are a little bit less too, right? So the share saying that the state economy is improving over last year increased four points from 13% in June to 17%. Uh, the share saying that the Texas economy is is worse dropped from 58% to 44%. So that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good drop. Pretty good drop. Um, and so... 
you know, and, and the, but at the same time, you know, we've asked this question in April about rising prices, about inflation. We asked it in April. We asked it again. And there's no change in the fact that right. the vast, vast majority of Texans, almost 90 percent, say they've noticed price increases. And the majority of those who've noticed price increases say it's had a major impact on their their finances. Most of the rest say it's had a minor impact and almost no one says it's had no impact. So there's this. Per- so this is the thing about the economy. If you notice the economy every time you go to fill your tank or go to the grocery store or go out to eat, it becomes a pretty major issue. And, it's, it's, and you know, to you know, get the the mechanics there. And you know, it's a fertile cognitive sort of state. Right. You know, it's a fertile state of mind to be seeing commercials saying Joe Biden is wrecking the economy, the Texas economy. You know, let's keep the Texas economy separate from that. Right. Right. So, and, that, and, the, and the gap that you're pointing out, and that we're pointing out. I mean, it works to that effect. I think you know, had had the had you know, we talked about this previously. Had views of the Texas economy continued to to go in the negative direction, at some point you'd say, well, yeah, but like who's the incumbent? Right. But given the fact that you know everything's improved a little bit, and the fact that this gap has remained, it does allow you to say, hey, look, at least Texas isn't the rest of the at country. At least we're not that. <laughs> which is which is a pretty you know I mean which is yeah. a pretty I mean, you're, you sort of you already kind of raised yeah. this issue of the familiar right pretty familiar argument here in Texas right. right? You know, and then the other thing about the economy is that it, it's remained reasonably salient. And again, that gap between the view of the national economy, mm-hmm. the national scene and the national political environment, right. you know, in a, in, a, in a reasonably nationalized election and, you know, uh, what's going on in the state, uh, the economy and prices show up in the most important problem facing the nation. Right. Right. Um, you know, it's about. You know, it's a, it's a pretty good chunk of that, 18%, I think, in, in the national MIP, and it's the top result if you – with another 20, 10% saying – so 18% say prices, yeah. 10% say the economy. At the state level, when we ask what's the most important problem facing the state, on one hand, economy and prices are not trivial. You put those together, they're about 15% of the total. But those MIPs point us towards you know a transition to the next topic of in terms of – what's familiar in this data and, and the reassertion of the familiar in the right. political environment, you know, the number one response is still immigration and border security uh, at 30% uh, of the total, more than 50%, as I recall, of Republicans. Yep. And so, you know, I, I, this came up a little bit in the la- last week, but it's worth saying, you know, you raise immigration and border security and it seems like we're stuck in, you know, the eternal return. Mm-hmm. Can we ever do a podcast where we don't talk about immigration and border security? Well, apparently not. But the combination of the poll results we've gotten, a look at the headlines in Texas and in the country mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks suggests that while we were talking about other issues and, you know, news coverage, the media yeah. was talking about other issues in the summer – Immigration and border security were still there. Uh-huh. They were remaining central. Um, you know, we bannered in, in various ways in the in the wake of the poll, the embrace of Abbott's busing policy, the policy of busing migrants to democratic cities for lack of a more complicated formulation. Um, you know, very popular among Republicans, but also gets a non-trivial share among other partisans. So 52% supported it overall. Wildly popular among Republicans. No other way to describe it. Yeah. Um, you, you almost can't be too hyperbolic about that. 80% of Republicans support the policy. I think something in the range of 60% support it strongly. Mm-hmm. But tellingly, about a fifth of, of Democrats support the policy, 22%. And very popular among among independents. About uh, Not even about half. Cl- cleanly half, 50% of, indep- of independents said they supported the policy only 26% opposed it. So, 
you know, in the context of what we've always known about immigration and border security, you know, I mean, I think people, you know, with some degree of legitimacy from, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to have said during the summer, wow, the governor seems to be talking very little about the shooting, you know, much less about the shootings right. in Uvalde and his or- public statements and his media than about immigration and border security and Operation Lone Star. But, you know, they knew of what they spoke when it comes to their partisans and the general political environment in the state. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the thing I'll add to this real quick is, you know, another question we asked on the poll was about Texas spending on border security. We asked this relatively frequently. We've been doing it sort of since just before the big upticks in spending a couple sessions ago and again in the most previous session and then even more so since the, you know, start of Operation Lone Star. And what's really remarkable about this in some ways is that, you know, these attitudes haven't changed. So the fact that it's costing, you know, an exorbitant amount of money, you know, per person to bus people, you know, northern cities, kind of irrelevant. The fact that, you know, uh, the spending that the state is, you know, uh, doing on border security has, you know, what, maybe quadrupled. Right. Over the last, you know, five or six years, it has not changed people's views of this. And this is not to say, like, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, some people listen to this and say, well, yeah, but if people knew. It's like, maybe. But honestly, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think that I think this is part of, you know, the problem that Democrats face with this issue is that just as much as, you know, Greg Abbott doesn't really want to talk about, you know, what the state's next step is on abortion. The Democrats don't really have a response here. You yeah. know, basically saying that you need, you know, I mean, and I'll just say, like, saying that you need to treat this more like a humanitarian crisis than a security crisis is fine, but ultimately, you know, it doesn't tell you what you're actually going to do with the large numbers of people who are arriving, arriving on the Texas border. And, yeah. you know, to say all you want, I mean, like, Abbott has done a pretty successful job of raising this issue. And marketing know. this particular tactic. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, and I would have to admit, I mean, I think I didn't probably quite put this together from the beginning of this policy. But there's a real trap here for Democrats. And it's come up in a couple of different media instances in the last week or so. One was Congressman Henry Cuellar's appearance Mm -hmm. on uh, Face the Nation Sunday morning, in which, you know, given uh, Congressman Cuellar's political positioning as, you know, among the most, you know, concern, you know, on the, on the right end right. of the of the Democratic Party, the very right that end, way. yeah, you know, not to <laughs> anyway, um, and you know, there was a good piece in uh, the Texas Tribune yesterday, and I for my apologies to the author because I can't remember exactly who wrote it now, um, but about El Paso providing bus service uh-huh. to. The migrants that are, you know, arriving in great numbers in El Paso and, you know, some of them are having to you know, live on the streets. Right. Shelters are overwhelmed. And, you know, Greg Abbott is not the first person to provide bus rides. The, but in El Paso, clearly there's a lot more scaffolding around social service, scaffolding and organization and process and a different seeming intent around the bus transportation that's being provided, and that's and that's happening, and, and that's one of the things that that Cuellar talked about, or Congressman Cuellar talked about on in, in the national media hit, which was, look, you know, in Laredo, you know, we're having to send, you know, I don't remember the exact number. It was in the twenties last week. We spent twenty something buses left from Laredo, so there. That's one of the things that I think is stymieing Democrats. Similar to the abortion thing, yes. it, it introduces a degree of nuance that's just not going to work if the de- if Democrats jump on this too hard. Well, and this is the thing. I think you know this is where we say you know this. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the abortion thing. I think this is. I was saying the exact same thing. You know, this is where you know top level kind of 
reaction to a policy versus the reaction to sort of the nuance are not the same thing when you're talking about campaigns, you're talking about voting, you're talking about politics. I mean, ultimately, I said this, I think, last week is, you know, you could imagine uh, a significant share of people reacting to you know the busing without thinking about the intent or the details of the coordination and the scaffolding and all these right. other sort of details that we're talking about and say, oh, that's a humanitarian thing. I mean, there's something – I mean, when I was thinking, you know, what, what would the Democratic counter messaging to this and be like, I guess it would be that Greg Abbott is providing a magnet to immigrants to come to Texas because he's going to bus them somewhere. Right. But that's not, that's crazy. And, and he's not doing, and well, and, and he's doing a poor job of providing the scaffolding that's not, you know. Well, people, yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, well, I mean, look. I'm just, I'm, this jo- is I'm a, joking a little bit, you can, but you can borrow the whole, you know, what, what, are you, what do you get out of this policy? Well, I mean, again, if, if I'm thinking, well, aren't you just attracting more people from Central and South America to come to Texas to get their bus ride to where they right. actually want to go? I mean, if I was going to choose where to enter, Texas or Arizona right now, and claim asylum, yeah, there's yeah. an argument to be made. Texas is a better place. I know Ducey was doing the was doing the busing thing for a while. He followed oh, Abbott yeah, in June, right. I, and I've lost track of. I mean, Ducey. I mean, but yeah. that kind of speaks to the broader point. Or Ducey not running for re-election. Right. Abbott and DeSantis are with both DeSantis more than Abbott. Sort of, you know, right. expected to have some degree of presidential ambition. So the context is different. Right. Um, you know. So uh, broad point though. The discussion during the the summer, I mean, there was a sense in which people were kind of, you know, and I certainly was one of the people who said this, you know, there's a certain sense of waiting for the inevitable border crisis Mm -hmm. to happen that would then help the governor shift the public discussion. Well, he obviously helped himself in, in many ways in doing that yeah. or, you know, moved it along in, in, in a very you know well, smart, tactical way from in strict political terms. And well, I think and I think the lesson for the national, I mean, the one thing that's interesting being on the ground here and then kind of watching the national yeah. coverage of this is that the national coverage is really focused on, you know, sort of the intention, the outcome, you know, all these sort of things. And I think, you know, that makes sense. I'm not criticizing right. that. But what I think is sort of missed in all of this is that like, you know, from a purely political context within the state of Texas, this seems to be a pretty good political move. Right. And, and the truth of the matter is, if it's a pretty good political move here with the Republicans, you know, good chance it's playing reasonably well with the Republicans nationally. Yeah, I would right? think so. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think because it's adjacent to this, let's also in some ways hit something a little bit similar on this too, and that's public safety. Okay. Um, now, we don't have a ton about public safety in this poll, although... We've done a bit of polling on people's perceptions of of crime and public safety in in the last year, a couple of years. You know, in, in a sense, this is almost feels a little bit like, you know, kind of the leftover residual issue that Republicans are still playing on from 2020 and that Democrats are still trying to save the appearances on. This is one of those things where, you know, the national environment not helping them. There's a bill. You know, there's a kind of police funding bill for local police departments locked up in Congress right now as mm-hmm. part of a conflict between the left and the far left and the Democratic Party. But, you know, the public safety numbers do suggest why this is still, you know, a good part of the Republican, you know, the Republican toolkit in terms of campaigning. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it's not even that they're necessarily, you know, I don't even think they're necessarily playing on attitudes about public safety per se. I mean, because what we find is, you know, like attitudes towards crime are just basically a reflection of how much people are talking about crime. We ask often about, you know, sort of the way people feel in terms of their own personal safety in the places where they live. And we find generally that people feel pretty safe. In fact, you know, the Republicans who, you know, the Republican voters who express the most concern about these issues tend to actually express that they're the most safe. Right. Of I'm very concerned, although I feel okay. I feel I, fr- I'm, I'm not threatened, but... Cr- 
crime's a problem. And look, and I, and I look, I think there's a distinction between, you know, personal safety and, and public safety and, and those kinds of things. Uh, you know, but ultimately, this is an issue where, you know, I mean, I think Republicans, I mean, Democrats first painted themselves into a corner and Republicans are happy to continue that because it's not that it's a major issue. I mean, when we ask about the salience battery, you know, this was at the bottom of the, I think, eight or nine issues that we asked about in terms of, you know, importance to vote choice. Only 2% of people said it was the most, public safety was the most important issue in their 2022 vote. Abbott letter worked by eight points among, in, among that, um, overall on that issue, 46-38. But it's still something that's kind of out there. 60% of people said it was very important to them, right? So it was still kind of on right. the higher end on, on those issues because it is. Um, but, you know, the thing about it is, is that it really just puts Democrats in a hard position because what are they supposed to say? Either they say, no, like O'Rourke has said, no, I I don't want to defund the police. I mean, there's sort of yeah. a, you know. How many times do I have to say it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. That's the position most Democrat, a lot of Democratic candidates are in. But ultimately, that's not, but that's not what you want to be spending your time talking about and right. your resources so to, to defend, you know, to defend something right. that you don't want Can to Can I go def- back and talk about abortion some more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to talk about abortion. <sighs> So I think, you know, from that from that perspective, it's it really does paint, you know, it creates a problem for Democrats. But also, I mean, I think where you, what I really think about this is about, you know, a targeted thing to my mind. I, mean, I think it's notable that Abbott opened up the campaign on Labor Day weekend with an ad talking about our work wanting to defund the police. And to me, you know, this speaks to sort of, you know, suburban anxiety to some extent. You know, it's funny. I was just sitting there trying to decide whether I should, you know. Yeah. But yeah I mean, this this is one of those instances, I think you're right, in which the whole kind of suburban urban dynamic really plays into this about, you know, people living in, you know, relatively safe suburbs, Mm -hmm. but still being, you know, activated by perceptions of crime in the city that they're, you know, close to, but not, you know, part of. And it's probably run by Democrats in Texas. Exactly. So, so it has, you know, it plays well with the right people in the right way. You know, I think it reinforces sort of the, t- you know, the immigration message because you're tough on right. crime, you're tough on all crime, that kind of thing. And so, you know, setting aside some of the many, many details there, you know, this is one of those things. This isn't about like an issue that's driving election. It's about an issue that's, you know, about improving margins slightly in the right places. Right. So, you know, let's um, let's conclude with just a quick nod towards education and, okay. you know, that that sense of. You know, I, 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 this is an analysis I think that, you know, you've thought a lot about, you know, and I'm going to say this and then you can okay. qualify it. <laughs> okay. you know, there's a certain dog that doesn't bark yeah. nature about education as an issue in terms of attitudes, in terms of its salience, in terms of the way it plays out in the election. I mean, there's been a consistent stream of efforts really on, on uh, I want to say sort of both ends of the political spectrum among people that do focus on education mm-hmm. issues, you know, sort of effort to elevate the issue of of education in various ways. Um, but, you know, it just doesn't show up in the polling all that much. I mean, the attitudes, the difference in attitudes somewhat do. Yeah. But the salience of it just never really quite rises to the level that one might think, given the... You know, I mean, however you want to think about it, given the attention it gets in the political process at times, you know, given, you know, what one might say from a pointy headed perspective, Mm. the fundamental importance of education in a number of ways. Yeah. I mean, setting aside (laughs) the fact that education is extremely important, right, for our economy, for like our criminal justice, for all kinds of things, for society, for society (laughs) writ large, right? But the issue is, is that, you know, I think something that we forget about here a lot of times when we think about education, because I mean, I was hearing you talking about, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's like, there's a reason that this this makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense. And ultimately, the thing is, is that, you know, most people don't have kids in school. 
Full stop. Right? right. So when you're talking about a group of people, you know, just a random, you know, a randomly selected group of people, you know, odds are somewhere, you know, no more than a third are probably going to be like really invested in someone in the public education, in the public education, probably even less at any given point in time. Right. So you're talking about a, sh- a share of the electorate. Now, that share of the electorate tends to be, I mean, I say this is an issue that gets very, very salient and then it's yeah. not salient anymore. Right. I mean, once your kids are out of school or once, you know, your grandkids are out of school or whatever the issue is, some people are still interested in the issue, despite the fact they don't have a direct connection with it. But really, you know, when you're thinking about the politics around education, you are really seeing people trying to activate people who are connected to the process. And while it's very, very salient for those people, it's just not for most. And so when we ask people in the poll in an open ended question, you know, what's the most important issue facing, you know, K through 12 public education in Texas, given all these discussions about you know, curriculum about race, curriculum about gender, politicization, you know, transgender sports, library books, right, et cetera, et cetera. What do people say? Well, first of all, the plurality of voters, 41%, didn't offer us anything. They could have said anything they wanted. They offered us nothing. Yeah. Now, should that be a surprise? And I think based on what I said, if you know, if you think about this, no. I mean, it's not really a surprise because most people are not really as engaged in the education issue. The people who are are very engaged. So I think that's kind of, you know, the first thing that comes up. So, again, this is not an issue that I think is like one of those like this is going to drive the election. You know, all, you know, all of a sudden if people, you know, people like there's no universe or alternative election where people decide that, you know, banning books from public libraries. That's what this election is going to be decided about. Like, right. that's that's something else. Or we're talking about, you know, what sports teams, transgender student athletes. That is not what the election is going to be about. But and we've said this before, but what it does do is it does muddy the water amongst the people who do really care about education. Because right. if we're not talking about education, you know, in this sort of way that we've been talking about in culture issues, we're talking about funding. We're either talking about, you know, the property tax issue is the way that right. relates to funding. We're talking about the funding of the schools. We're talking about teacher pay. We're talking about teacher retention. And truth is, that's kind of what Democrats are still focused on, but they're focused on all those things, which is what right. Democrats' problem always is, right? They're focused on about six different things. You know, the number one thing, of course, is, uh, you know, basically teacher pay shortages, retention. The number two thing is basically politicization, mostly by people on the right. Uh, number three is funding, 8%. Then safety, then quality. Now, to clarify, you said politicization, mostly by people on the right. Is that the concern is about conservative the politicization by those people or the concern is among those people concern among the right <laughs> no the concern is the politicization by okay like, i just wanted to yeah, make sure by, that was clear to you know conservative and let's say republican right. leaning elites usually right gotcha for republicans a quarter you know which is again we didn't get anywhere close to a quarter with democrats basically express concern about curriculum right right um, and that is like the, the which one the democratic lens is politicization by the right <laughs> exactly. Right. But but the issue is is if we're talking about you know curriculum concerns about you know how race is talked about how gender is talked about ultimately you know if nothing else this issue kind of become the you know education is a broad topic we talk about you know right. sort of broadly versus specifically probably becomes somewhat of a draw amongst the subset of voters for whom this is a really important issue and right. it's a small subset. And so, therefore, you know, again, this isn't to me. This is another one of those things where I think, you know, Republicans have been very successful with this. I think there's a lot of exposure out there. I mean, to the extent that, you know, you start taking over school boards. Yeah. There's there's definitely exposure. But having said that, you know, even if the election all of a sudden were to become an election about education, I think Republicans, based on these polling, would feel relatively comfortable with that. Yeah. I but mean, we, issue- t- we talked back in the spring about the, in a sense, the attempt to assert a certain degree of issue ownership over this and that's a sign that they, you know, they got some traction on that. Yeah, I think they've gotten traction on it. But the broader point here is this isn't like a, an issue that's going to drive drive the election. If anything, it's going to, you know, it's going to affect margins in key areas. Again, 
suburban areas likely is a big target here. And again, this makes a lot of sense. You know, if you think of the same political dynamics we talked about about public safety and the effect between urban and suburban areas, those same issues are coming up on educational issues where you've got sort of, you know, I think probably the greatest mix of opinion in terms of sort of the big, uh, let's say, cultural social debates in public education are probably taking place in suburbs that have a you know right. a kind of a mix of ideologies in terms of the classrooms. Right. Although you know yeah the the places where those fights have been most successful for you know activists on the right have been in the kind of farther out suburbs where they have Yeah, I mean you know, yeah, I mean And again, we have to get into the distinction between those but those you know the districts if you go look at the districts where they've really succeeded in either pushing these issues or taking over school boards have been mostly in those kind of farther out areas where they have a little more leverage, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is this comes down to like, you know, this comes down to a question of like sort of political geography. I mean, the places right. that have been the most focused on have been the counties sort of around Fort Worth and sort of in the Dallas Fort, sort of outside of the urban center of right. Dallas, Fort Worth. But I think part of the issue I would just, I would just throw out as, sort of, you know, I don't know, is that I know that in a lot of cases the uh, impetus for the initial push there, whether it was needed or not, was the fact that those districts had in one way or another flirted like a little too much with the wrong ideas or, right. you know, had been, you know, trying to respond to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I think, but yeah. you know, geographically, I think, you know, when we're talking about, you know, look, the poster for, for better or for worse, the poster child for this has been clear, like, you know. Yeah. So at, at any rate, um, so to wind it up, I mean, I, I, you know, we ended last week, you know, my sort of sleeper thing at the end of the, of the last podcast was same-sex marriage. I was actually not going to raise it again, but I mean, I think it kind of comes up in this in that, yeah. you know, there's, there are things that are latent out there that are kind of that I, that I think actually probably have more consequence in the more rarefied environment of legislative politics uh-huh. than in election politics. But as we're talking about in the election, motivation, enthusiasm in the election, you know, the the ability to mobilize partisans, you know, the kind of issues that are like being put in the in the immigra- in the in the education frame. You know, you mentioned the li- you know the matter of libraries and curriculum. You know, are also reflected in these numbers on gay marriage that we got, where you know, as we said last week, when we asked. Texans in the last poll whether same-sex marriage should still should be legal you know we still found that 50 percent of of Republicans thought it should it should not still be legal Mm -hmm. and that there was no change from 2017 and in a podcast where the theme has been probably continuity rather than change that speaks to a, a a degree of continuity in the the cultural forces that are animating you know, uh, 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 you know, the Republican Party in particular yeah. and 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 are still sort of out there powerfully shaping internal politics in the, in the party, which really manifest themselves more directly, I think, in the legislature. Um, but it is out there in the ether when we start talking about where the energy is going to be in terms of mobilization. You know, I like ending on this same-sex marriage number and the fact that, like, it hasn't changed at all. And the fact that, you know, this podcast, this this edition of the podcast and sort of looking at the issue environment in the election, really, if anything, is, you know, we're sort of taking in all these 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 inputs that are of the moment and we're putting them through this, you know, this lens of trying to look at, you know, kind of how the electorate views them. And we're kind of coming out to the other side saying, boy, a lot of this feels really familiar. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, I, you know, and again, sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, the, the sort of the no change thing is kind of like, oh, well, what's even the point? But that is kind of the point, I think, is that, you know, it's hard not to kind of look at all this and say, you know, a lot's happened in the last five or six years, for sure, right? A lot has happened politically, a lot has happened culturally, uh, you know, just I could go on and on about that. But, you know, the underlying attitudes that have kind of been the main sort of motivating force, you know, they've 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 stayed in place to a large extent. And I think, you know, that's something that people sort of, you know, I think a lot of the times, you know, it's kind of like Uvalde's a good example. A lot of people say, well, Uvalde happened. Now is everybody going to change? And we say, well, you know, we actually have no indi- we have no evidence that after a mass shooting, we see big shifts in attitudes. Right. We saw no evidence that after Dobbs, you know, there's a big shift in abortion attitudes. Right. Um, you know. The winter storm came and passed. Nobody really expressed confidence. Had a very hot summer, but so no what? Cri- no, no real crisis. Well, right? You know. Yeah, but I mean, but I think, but I think the point is, you know, I think there's a bit of a, you know, an extent to which you know, because of the all the novel stimuli that we're getting, we underrate, you know, sort of the the influence and the and the importance of sort of you know just what are the kind of the fundamental underlying attitudes and the sort of the the structure. Well, and the distribution within the partisan and the universe. Constri- yeah, yeah, the distribution within the partisan And the structure and the constraint that that puts on elections that you start with. Right. And I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, you know, I think all this stuff might have already, you know, all these things that may have kind of accrued to the Democratic benefit potentially. I think most of that stuff was baked in. I kind of mentioned that as a possibility a couple of weeks ago yeah. or a couple of episodes ago or whatever. I don't even know, maybe a month ago. But the more I look at this data, I think... Yeah, I think that's probably right. And then ultimately, you're looking at a competitive system where these things might shift, you know, margins a couple points either way, but they're not changing the underlying dynamics here. Right. And there's a, you know, I mean, I, you know, there's a, there's an interesting meta discussion to be had about this about, well, actually, you could either look at it from the cognitive start, you could start from the individual cognition, or you could talk about the media, right? You know, discursive environment in which, you know, you know there you know there's a tendency to want to emphasize the potential for change like in the media environment because it's more interesting novel stimuli right and and, and then at the cognitive level there's you know things like that and and i think that you know it is a you know it is kind of a i mean look as you said it's a very active environment out there so i mean you know it'd be crazy not to consider the possibility of a shift yeah but i guess the bottom line is we're just not seeing a lot of evidence of that and to hit a point that we sort of passed by here you know is at the for future discussion then it really does you know suggest questions about you know mobilization potential mm-hmm. what's going on what's going on out there with what the electorate is going to look like and you know we'll we'll come back to that probably pretty soon we'll certainly come back to that when we run our next poll when we and we put together a likely voter screen yeah. right so on that Josh thanks for being here good discussion uh thanks to all of you for listening thanks to our production team in the audio studio and the liberal arts development studio at UT Austin um Remember, you can find all the data we've referenced today, much, much more at the Texas Politics Project website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. We'll be back soon with another Second Reading podcast. The Second Reading podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 